Welcome to the Oasis. We are glad you're here this morning. I usually do announcements, a few couple things that I have after the service, but I'm hoping that the Lord will be moving and working at the end, and I don't want to sort of quench the spirit at the end of our service this morning. So I just want to share a couple things with you, and then we'll get into the message this morning. Uh, first of all, be, as of the last Sunday when we met, many of you know that uh, Robert Johnston, our you know, building project manager and a very you know, key component of our church family here, uh, had his foot crushed by a forklift on Monday. And uh, let me share with you the miracle that God did. First of all, uh, there was the initial thing of would they even have to amputate his foot or could they even save it at that point? It went from that to we're going to go in and do surgery to then we don't even need to do surgery. When they went in to take the scan, the doctors even said all we thought we would find there is that his bones would be reduced to powder, basically dust. And when they went in, they found that all of his bones remained intact and that the four breaks that he has in his foot are all clean breaks that will heal without surgery. So we praise God for that report. Now let me say this. Those of you that know Robert know that he's got to just hang out for a couple months and do nothing. That's going to be really hard for Robert. Uh, so here's my encouragement to you. Uh, take the time maybe to get a card or send something off to Robert and Dana out there at Top of the World and just let them know that as your church family, you're thinking about them and praying for them during this time that he's laid up. I know that they would appreciate that. Secondly, this coming Saturday is Meet the Pastor. Not that I'm any big deal to meet, but I'm saying this for this reason. Um, this is not, if you come to that, like you're committed to be a part of our church or anything like that. It's more just the idea that especially in this day and age where you go to churches and a lot of times you don't have access to the pastor, it's like you never get a chance to actually sit down and talk to him and ask him any questions or whatever. That's what this night is about. It's about you having access to me, getting to ask me anything you want to ask me about the church, why we do this, why we don't do this, what about this, what about that. And it's a way for you to ask me personally anything that you want to know about my background, where I come from, what my theological education is, you know, what this, what that, who my favorite football team, no, just teasing. Uh, and then, finally, coming up in a couple weeks, the Sunday between Mother's Day and Memorial Day weekend, so I think it's the 19th of May, we're going to have a baptism that afternoon. I know many of you have expressed an interest in, Pastor Jeff, I want to be baptized. I would love to baptize you. I, that's one of, besides weddings and stuff like that and leading people to the Lord and just talking to people about their walk with God, Baptizing uh, Christians is one of the joys of a pastor. So if you would like to be baptized, I'm going to direct you to two different people. Uh, one is Mike Tortorici, one of our elders, and the other is my wife, Lisa, back there. If you are interested in being baptized that afternoon, uh, please see one of those folks, and uh, we'll uh, get you on the list. All right, as many of you know, uh, I've been announcing uh, about this message for the last couple of weeks. Uh, I've entitled this message, What to Do When You're Facing the Greatest Crisis of Your Life. Um, and I believe that the information that God gives us 
uh, in these chapters that we're going to look at really are applicable and relevant to whatever situation we're going through in life they are good for. Not just the greatest crisis, but any and all of life's challenges and obstacles and all of that. And so today, our message is going to be from the prophet Isaiah, chapters 36 and 37. Isaiah, chapter 36 and 37. And as you're finding that, uh, here's something that I think we need to point out as well, that when we come to these chapters this morning, we are reminded that truly the Bible is a supernatural book, that it is not like any other book. Uh, it is not like any other piece of literature that's ever been written. It is clearly the Word of God because thousands of years after the prophet Isaiah wrote what was going on here, you and I still can find the relevance and applicability and all of that to our lives even today. It's just as good today as it was thousands of years ago. And that's one of the great things about the Word of God. It never goes out of date. It never gets old. It's always speaking to us right where we are today. Now, how we're going to divide this up is that Isaiah chapter 36 sort of outlines for us, if you will, the crisis that King Hezekiah, who's the king of Judah at this time, is facing. And uh, let me just say this before we get into the specifics of, of this. It is a life or death crisis, all right? Now, chapter 37 is going to sort of outline then for us what do we do? What did he do when facing the greatest crisis of his life? What should we do? That's in chapter 37. But let's go back to chapter 36 and start there. Some of you have come here today, and you've come here because you're facing a crisis in your life, okay? And let me just say this. King Hezekiah was facing a crisis as well. As I said, it was a life or death crisis for this reason. He was getting a message from a man named King Sennacherib. You see that name there in verse 1 of chapter 36. Don't you love those biblical names? <laughs> Sennacherib. I tried to talk my son and daughter-in-law into naming their next one that, but they wouldn't go for it. Um, king Sennacherib is king of Assyria, as you see there in chapter 36, verse 1. And Assyria at this point in world history is the superpower. They are the most powerful nation on the earth. Therefore, King Sennacherib is the most powerful human being on earth at this time. And basically, Assyria, like many nations down through history, when they become the most powerful, they look around to see who else and what else they can conquer and all of that. And so King Sennacherib and the Assyrian army is just literally marching through ancient history and all the nations of the world at that time, and they're just swallowing them up and conquering them and defeating them one by one. And no nation... No nation has been able to stand against them. They're like just a plow that's just going through the nations of the earth, and they are conquering them. So the next one in line is Judah, whose king is King Hezekiah. And King Sennacherib, in order to 
intimidate King Hezekiah and the people of, of Judah before he even gets there in order for him to sort of terrorize them and get into their heads before he even approaches the city of Jerusalem, he sends his chief advisor to them. And he has a message from him, from his chief advisor to the leadership of the nation of Judah. And it sort of starts in verse 4 where the chief advisor says, this is a message from the great king. This is what the king of Assyria says. Now, keep that in mind. There's a lot of people going to be saying things, and as you and I face crises in our life, we hear a lot of different voices. I want you to keep that in mind. And the first voice that you sort of really hear ringing out here is the voice of King Sennacherib, the leader of the world at this time, who's speaking through his chief advisor to the next one in line that he's getting ready to conquer, King Hezekiah of Judah. And the first question he asks King Hezekiah is, what is the source of your confidence, verse 4? That's an important question. In a sense, he's saying, who or what is your confidence? Who are you trusting in, King Hezekiah? <laughs> That's a question all of us as human beings need to answer. Because whether we come to crises in our life or life or death situations, all of us have to answer the question, who or what is my confidence in? Who am I placing my trust in? Is there, is there someone or something beyond me that I'm trusting in at moments throughout my life? Or is it all on me? <laughs> you know, who or what is the source of our confidence? Well, he then sort of takes a dig at King Hezekiah. He tells him, he said, you know, you used to rely on Egypt, but you realize they're no longer reliable or dependable. I remember the verse in Psalm 27 where the psalmist even says, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. I love that verse. And that sort of is that whole Egyptian thing, because they were known for their chariots and for their horses. So King Sennacherib says, well, Egypt couldn't stand against me. I hope you're not trusting in them to save you, because they couldn't even save themselves. And then he comes down to verse 13, where again you see this phrase, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria, has to say. Listen to what the great king has to say. And then in verse 14 of chapter 36, the first thing he says is, don't let King Hezekiah, you people of Judah, mislead you into thinking that he can rescue you, because he can't. And then he says, oh, and, and don't let him talk you into trusting in your God, because your God can't save you either. Hmm. And then a little bit later, he says, don't listen to Hezekiah. <laughs> See, King Sennacherib not only was wanting to speak to King Hezekiah, he wanted to speak to all the people in Judah. And he wanted them to begin to shake in their boots and be filled with fear even before he got there. It's the way it is a lot of times in our life. 
Sometimes we allow things to get to us and to get into our heart and to get into our head and begin to bother us even before it happens. You know, they've even told us a lot of times what we worry about doesn't ever end up happening that way anyway. We just start to get all concerned and worried about the what ifs. <laughs> what if this and what if that, you know? Instead of just letting life come and then dealing with it the way God's going to show us we should deal with it. And, and, and that's what's happening. I mean, even today in the world, the world is just filled with fear and so many things make people in the world so afraid and, and we, we go worst case scenario and all that and we let things get into our head and that's exactly what was happening here with King Sennacherib and King Hezekiah and the people of Judah. Don't let him talk you into trusting in the Lord. In fact, sort of his main message to King Hezekiah and the people of Judah at this point are really found in the middle of verse 16. If you look at it there, it's the word surrender. He says, here's really your only option. Surrender to me. And isn't that what a lot of times things in life and situations in life and circumstances and all of that isn't that what they want us to do? They basically want us to be at a place where we're just so immobilized and so filled with fear that we just give up, give in, say, this is the way it's going to be. Nothing's ever going to change. I'm never going to get through this or over this. There's no answer. There's no help. There's no hope. Surrender. Just give in and give up. That's what the world would want us to do. But we're the people of God. We need to look at things and handle things differently, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. In fact, after he says, just surrender, right? And maybe that's where some of you are today. Maybe part of why you're here today is because you've been fighting something and battling something in your life, and you just feel like, I just, I can't overcome it. I, I can't get through it. I can't get past it. I'm stuck. And all you keep hearing in your head is the voice of just, just surrender, just give up. Just, just, it's just the way it's going to be. The voices, the voices. In fact, the voices keep going. You notice in verse 18, he, he sort of then gives a little bit more of a dig. He says, has any of the gods of the other nations rescued his land from the power of Assyria? And of course, the answer is no. As I said, Assyria just kept marching through the ancient land and just conquering one nation after another, and no one was able to stop him. So then notice what he says in verse 20 of chapter 36. He says, so how is the Lord going to rescue Jerusalem from my power? Well, the problem was King Sennacherib didn't realize that the God of Israel was different than all the other gods. <laughs> the, God, the God of King Hezekiah and the God of Isaiah and the God of the people of Judah isn't like all the other gods of the other nations. He's different. Don't ever underestimate God. And that's what King Sennacherib was doing. And that's what he was doing here with King Hezekiah. And, and here's why I say it's a life or death situation. 
in those days, if King Sennacherib of Assyria would have come against Jerusalem, he would have destroyed Jerusalem. He would have killed King Hezekiah and all his family. That's why I said it's a pretty big deal to King Hezekiah what's going on here. Because King Hezekiah understands, if there's no answer for King Sennacherib in Assyria, I'm dead, my family's dead, everybody that's associated with me is dead, most of my people in Judah will die, and those that do survive will be enslaved by the Assyrians. The whole beautiful city of Jerusalem will be destroyed. It's a pretty dire circumstance. He's facing the crisis of his life. And he's gotten a pretty clear picture from King Sennacherib of Assyria through his chief advisor of just how bad it could be. In fact, earlier on, and you don't have to look at it, it's pretty gross, actually. King Sennacherib says, it's going to be so bad for your people after I go through that they're going to be eating their own excrement and drinking their own urine. That's how bad it's going to be. And if that's where the story ended, again, pretty depressing, pretty discouraging, pretty bleak, but the story doesn't end there. We continue into chapter 37 where we begin to discover when you and I, like King Hezekiah, are faced with a great crisis in our life, how do we respond? What do we do? Well, notice, first of all, in chapter 37, verse 1, the first thing that King Hezekiah does when he receives this news through the chief advisor of the words and the voice of King Sennacherib. The first thing it says is when Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth. That's important. First of all, in that culture and it even is practiced some to this day, that was a, an expression of intense emotion, which you can understand. You start tearing your clothes, that's pretty intense emotion. It, it was an expression of, of pain. It was an expression of sorrow. It was an expression of grief. It was a strong, powerful emotion. And the reason why we start here is because that's really the first way to respond when facing the greatest crisis of our life. Not to tear our clothes, but to allow the cold, hard reality of what we're facing to truly hit us. Let me repeat that. The first way to respond to a crisis in our life is to allow the cold, hard reality of the crisis to hit us. See, so many human beings today, they want to live in denial. They want to create an alternate reality because they can't wrap their minds around reality. They can't handle reality. They don't know how to respond to reality. And because they either do not believe in God or have a close communion with God, they do not believe that their God is able to help them through the reality that they are facing. Therefore, they do everything they can but allow it to truly hit them and to absorb it. And here's the problem with not doing that. It just sort of hangs on us and hovers over us our entire life. Because until you and I truly face 
the cold, hard reality of what we're dealing with, we also will never get past it, get over it, get through it, heal from it, be made whole from it, because here's what God wants us to understand, especially as his people, that he is a great enough God that he can help us through whatever the reality is if we'll trust him to do it. And that's why he tells his people, don't deny how bad it is. Don't pretend like it's not there. Don't pretend like it never happened to you. Don't try to create another alternative universe that this didn't happen in. Let it hit you. Let the emotions come. Let them roll and realize what you're dealing with. Then, as you turn to me, you will find out that I am great enough that I can restore you, I can heal you, I can mend your brokenness, I can put you back together, I can make you whole again, I can move you through this, I can move you beyond this, I can move you past this to where your life will no longer be defined by this, where it won't hang over your life like a cloud anymore, where you truly we will be able to go forward and live your life without this thing always playing in the background. Amen. Some of you maybe have never allowed God to truly deal with some reality in your life to the point where he could truly come into your life and minister to you in a way that only he can do and bring you beyond that and that's why i say we got to start here because that's what king hezekiah was doing when he ripped his clothes and he put on that sackcloth it was a way of expressing this is really bad and i know how bad it is <laughs> but then notice the second thing that he does and this is what you and i should do when we face a great crisis where did he go he went to the lord's temple he went to the house of God. In fact, we see this repeated in verse 14. If you look at it there, chapter 37, verse 14, he went up to the Lord's temple again. Why? Because God's house should be a place that whether we're going through crisis or whether everything's great in our life, it should be a place of refuge for us. It should be a place where we find strength and encouragement and comfort, where we can hear God speak to us. That's why God wants us to go to his house and be a regular attender at his house because it should be a place where whatever I'm going through in my life, I can first of all hear from God. I can experience God. I can know his presence is with me. I can know his power is with me. I can be reassured. I can be reaffirmed. I can be all these things in God's house Amen. you see too often we do just the opposite don't we even as Christians when we begin to struggle when something begins to get the better of us when something begins to eat at us what do we do we stop going to church we sort of isolate ourselves and can I tell you that's the worst thing we can do the absolute worst thing we can do. But that's the plan of the enemy, is, is once he gets us going sort of sideways or backwards, then he wants to separate us from the rest of God's sheep. 
Because then no longer are we regularly attending to experience the presence of God in God's house, but we also then cut ourselves off from our relationships and the the, the people that God wants to place in our lives to be his voice even sometimes. We'll talk about that in a minute. So what do we do when facing the greatest crisis of our life first? Let the cold, hard reality of whatever it is hit us. Truly hit us. I mean, I've been in, going back to that, but as a pastor, you know, there have been times where I've, say, been in in a hospital room or something, and, and, and a doctor came in and gave someone really bad news. And you could just tell, it's like, nope, don't want to hear that. I'm going to pretend I never heard that. And it's just like, oh, no, no. No, let's not pretend you didn't hear that. Let's pretend, or let, let's, let, you did hear that. It's, it's really bad. But that doesn't have to be the end. And then the second thing we should do, get to God's house. Get to God's house. Again, God wants his house to be a place where his people can come and have a refuge from this world, have a place of refreshment. I hope that the oasis is not just literally that, but figuratively that. It'd be nice if every church was that way. It's not, but I think that's what churches should be. Places where especially the people of God can go and not only find God, but find one another and and find a place where they can sort of catch their breath from what they're dealing with in life. Notice the next thing that happens here. After he goes up to the Lord's temple, he says, Hi, the prophet Isaiah. I need to send this message of what's happening to him and and inform him about what's happening. And then in verse 4, notice what he asked the prophet Isaiah to do. He says, so pray for this remnant. What's the third thing I should do when facing a crisis in my life? Ask for prayer. Ask for prayer. One of the most encouraging things you and I can do as human beings and especially as Christians is to be asking other people to pray. And it doesn't have to be a ton of people. It's not like God's up there in heaven and goes, okay, now when we get to a thousand people praying for this, I'll start paying attention. If it's just one, then I'm not interested. God doesn't work that way. Aren't you glad? Amen. I mean, there's many times in the Bible where just one person's praying, but God heard him and God answered and God responded. It's not, now listen, it doesn't mean that the more people that are praying, that's a bad thing either. All I'm saying is, though, you don't need to share what's going on in your life with a ton of people. It may be something so personal and sort of so confidential that there's not a lot of people that you trust with that information. But even if you have one other person, like King Hezekiah had the prophet Isaiah, and he says, Isaiah, would you please pray? I'm going to tell you how bad it is, Isaiah, but would you please pray? 
Even if you and I have one other person in our life that we can go to and that we know a couple things. First of all, we'll know they'll pray. It's not like they say they're going to pray for us and then they don't. We really know that they're going to be praying for us, that they're going to be on their knees engaged in praying for us, but where they all, we also know that they'll keep a confidence or that they'll keep this to themselves between them, us, and God. Amen. Do you have somebody like that? Because that's one of the ways you and I can share our burdens. And the Bible tells us to bear one another's burdens. The Bible tells us when one of us is going through hard times, all of us should feel for that person. That's the way the body was set up. Oh, and by the way, let me add this encouragement. Do you know what, what's really cool? The Bible says to us as believers in Jesus Christ, first of all, that the Holy Spirit intercedes on behalf of us. Amen. The Holy Spirit's always praying for you, my friends. And then, that's in Romans 8, 27. In Hebrews 7, 25, it says, Jesus Christ, our Savior, is always interceding for us as well. I hope you remember that. It's not just you who's praying about this and maybe asking others to pray about this. It's you got the Trinity on your side praying for you. No wonder Paul said, if God is for me, who can be against me? So let the reality of the situation hit you. Get to the house of God. It is a place of refuge and refreshment for us, for our souls. Third, ask for prayer. Then we come to the fourth. After Isaiah is given this message and this basically prayer request, he gets a message from God and he wants to then deliver a message from God back to King Hezekiah. Notice what he says there in verse 5 and 6. He says, Isaiah, the son of Amos, now wants to send a message back to Hezekiah. And notice this phrase, this is what the Lord says. Because earlier on, it was, this is what the great king of Assyria is saying. And the reason why that's important, and this is the next thing that you and I need to do when we're facing crisis, is we need to listen for the voice of God and then listen to the voice of God. Why? Because at any time in our life, there are so many voices speaking into our lives. And especially, don't you notice this, when you're going through a difficult time or a difficult season or a hard season or a crisis in your life, everybody wants to give you their advice. And you got so many voices. And here's what God wants us to do. It's not that we discount, because we're going to get to that in a minute, all the voices, because God sometimes uses other people to speak to us, but God wants us to be able to get all, clear of all these other voices and be able to hone in on just his voice and but god what are you saying at this moment not what am i even saying to myself because sometimes the most destructive thing you and i can do is self-talk sometimes what we tell ourselves is really bad right and then sometimes the voices and the things that other people are telling us aren't the best things either and we need to get to a place where it's like, 
God, I want to hear from you. What do you have to say about this? And I love the message that God gave to Isaiah to give to Hezekiah. Notice what it was. Do not be afraid because of what you heard. Yeah, Hezekiah, you're going to hear a lot of stuff. He's over there just as the king of the world right now, just flapping his jaws, full of pride. But don't be afraid. Sometimes what we tell ourselves and what we hear can fill us with all this fear and anxiety and angst. And God wants to cut through all that at each and every moment of our lives and say, child, don't be afraid. I mean, the very worst thing that can happen to us as human beings, especially as a child of God, is to go through the valley of the shadow of death. And what does Psalm 23 say? Even if I have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And even as you and I as Christians go through the valley of death, we don't ever have to be afraid because our shepherd's going to walk with us through every step of the way and, and be with us as he we go to glory to heaven to be with him. Amen. We've got to stop listening to our own voice at times and shut off other voices long enough to be able to clearly hear the voice of God. Now, we know we can hear God's voice through his word, the Bible. We can hear God's voice through his Holy Spirit speaking to us. But I do want to point this out because this is absolutely what's happening here. Notice that God is using another human being, Isaiah, to speak to Hezekiah. And I say that for this reason. There's usually for every one of us as a Christian, especially, there's at least one person, one other Christian in our life that we clearly hear God speak to us through on a regular basis. It's like I hear God through them. God, God speaks to me through them. Then my encouragement to you is this. <laughs> Listen to them as much as you possibly can. Because they're not just in your life by accident. <laughs> They're in your life because God, like he does with Isaiah, with Hezekiah, is wanting to say things and send messages to you through them. And if you shut them off and you shut them down, you're not just not hearing their voice, you're not hearing the voice and the encouragement and the comfort and the refreshment and, and all of that from God that he wants to bring to you through them. So find whoever that person is and begin to listen to God speak to you through them. Because God many times will speak to us through others. Let the reality of the situation hit you. Get to the house of God. Ask for prayer. Listen for the voice of God rather than all these other voices. And then notice. After that, King Sennacherib gets diverted. Somehow the young buck from Ethiopia, and he was this up-and-coming sort of ruler in the ancient world, he decides to, he wants to have a little piece of Sennacherib in Assyria. 
So the Bible says that King Sennacherib, instead of continuing to press towards Jerusalem, he gets diverted by the king of Ethiopia and has to go over here and deal with him. In the meantime, he sends another message to King Hezekiah through his chief advisor. And it's basically the same thing, only maybe even a little bit more intense. In fact, in chapter 37, verse 11, he says, certainly you have heard that none of the other nations basically have been able to stand up to me. Do you really think it's going to be any different with you? <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. Do you think you're going to be rescued? I don't think so. And then he begins in this message to list all the other nations that he has conquered and that he has destroyed. And he sends this message off to King Hezekiah. What's Hezekiah do with this? Well, I want you to note what he does with this, beginning in verse 13, 14, and then 15. The Bible says he gets this message from the advisor to King Sennacherib. It says he, spread, he goes to the temple of God, goes up to the temple, and he spreads it out before the Lord. He says, Lord, here's what I'm dealing with. And then verse 15 says, Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. That's what you and I need to do at all times in our life. Pray without ceasing, but especially in crisis situations, pray, and I'm going to add this, pray, because you're going to see why in a minute. Pray and worship. Amen. Pray and worship. That's what Hezekiah does. He prays and he worships in the house of God. So, what do we do when we face the greatest crisis of our life? Let the reality hit you. Get to the house of God. Don't stay away from it. Three, ask others to pray. Four, listen for the voice of God. And five, pray and worship. And let me show you why this is not just prayer, this is worship. Notice the content of this prayer. It's not about him. It's not even about the crisis. This prayer is all about exalting the greatness and the uniqueness and the glory of God. Listen to what Hezekiah prays, and I'm not going to say it all, but notice he starts out by saying, Oh, Lord God, commander of the armies, or who commands armies, or in other translations, the Lord of hosts. You have everything in the universe at your resource, God, because you're the supreme sovereign of the universe. Then he says, O God of Israel, you are enthroned upon the cherubim. Remember the Ark of the Covenant? The cherubim looking over the mercy seat? He's saying, God, you're not only great, you are gracious, you are full of grace and mercy because you're enthroned above the very mercy seat and the place of grace that if, if it wasn't for your mercy and grace, none of us would have a chance. Amen. I exalt you, God, because you're that kind of a God. And then he says, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone. God's uniqueness. He's not like all the other gods. 
He alone is the one true God. And then he says, you made the heavens and the earth. In the net, it says, you made the earth and the sky. In other words, you're the creator. And then he goes into verse 20. I want you to drop down to verse 20 where he says this, because this is all about the glory of God. He says, now, O Lord, would you please rescue us from his power? Not for our sakes. Notice what he says. So that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. Amen. That's worship, my friends. That's not just prayer. That's worship. And that's really what our prayers and our life should be about. It's about exalting God. It's about asking God to do stuff not just for our sakes, but for his sake, for his glory, for his reputation. And that's where Hezekiah was at. I want you to notice the response of God to this. As Hezekiah is praying, spreading this out before the Lord. By the way, let me say something about that for a second. Some of you, uh, something very therapeutic and good for you to do would be if you're facing something right now to literally write it out on a piece of paper and spread it out before the Lord. Literally take the time to articulate what you're struggling with. What, What is it you're going through? What is it you're feeling? It's very good sometimes to write it out and spread it out before the Lord and pray and worship before him. Notice the response of God. As Hezekiah was praying and worshiping, Isaiah now gets another message to give to Hezekiah, and he says, this is from the Lord to you, Hezekiah. And notice what the message is. Because you have prayed to me. You want to talk about God affirming the power of prayer? God says to Isaiah to give to Hezekiah, because you prayed to me, the rest of the chapter, we're not going to go into it this morning because you can read it for yourself, is all about God saying, because you prayed to me, guess what? King Sennacherib will never set foot in Jerusalem. He will never even shoot an arrow against Jerusalem. He won't enter the city He won't even come close to the city. I will be a shield for you, Hezekiah, and for my people and for the city of Jerusalem. Sennacherib won't get it at all. Because you prayed to me, Hezekiah, I'm moving for the sake of my reputation. I'm moving. You see... We can get different reports and different voices and all of this, but one of the things Isaiah 36 and 37 reminds us of is let God have the last word on anything. Let God be the one to define your life and define what happens to you and to get you through whatever it is. Because, yes, our God is great enough to be able to deal with whatever the reality is that you've had to deal with or are dealing with. He is so great that he can heal us, 
He can make us whole. He can restore us. He can fix our brokenness. He can set us free. Uh, There's nothing impossible for our God. And so his message to us is, whenever you're facing a great crisis like King Hezekiah, or whenever you're facing any situation or circumstance in life, remember these things. Let the reality of the situation hit you head on so that you truly can absorb it so that you can eventually move beyond it too. Get to the house of God. Keep coming to that place of refreshment and refuge. Two, three, ask others to pray. Ask for prayer. Four, listen for the voice of God and listen to the voice of God. And five, pray and worship. This is what King Hezekiah did when facing his own life or death situation. What great... (laughs) and a great example for you and I to follow in our lives as well. Could we stand? Here's what I'm going to ask this morning. I'm going to ask that Some of you would be willing. Look, you've come to God's house. Hopefully you've heard God's voice. Now it's time to pray and worship. And some of you maybe have come here with a real weight and burden on you today. I'm going to ask you to come in a sense and as Hezekiah did, spread it out before the Lord. Let God and God's people begin to minister to you. Maybe you've come here with a family member or friend today. The Oasis Church is not your, you know, normal house of worship, but you've come here today because of this message. Then come with your friend. Come with your family member. But you come this morning. Those of you on this side, I'm going to encourage you to go to that space over there. Those of you on this side of the auditorium, I'm going to encourage you to go to that space over there. And let me, as well as maybe some others here, our elders, our our prayer team, our ministry leaders, come and be with you during this moment. And just help you to realize God's got you. And God's got this, whatever it is. And we will surround you as God surrounds you. But now's the time to pray and worship. Now's the time to look to God and say, God, I'm looking away from everyone else. I'm looking to you. Right now, I don't want to hear anybody else's voice. God, I just want to hear your voice in my life. Would you come as we sing this song?